I saw a huge opportunity in what I believe to be an under-digitized and underserved sector in, in B2B trade of, of, of what we call industrial products. We actually took this borrowed approach from the mobile app business, this soft launch mentality, an approach where we kind of expanded first actually to an even smaller market initially, Estonia, wanting to really first just find the proof point that in a way the model is workable elsewhere. Also understand what localization means. Can we acquire users the same way? And can we operationally fulfill in a new region and really kind of get some of the checkbox done which we actually did in order to really prepare the actual expansion. A couple of major things that I really took as learnings and key impact factors from my time as an investor is that if you think about venture scalable models or venture-backed situations, the market size is extremely important. Welcome to the Platform Pioneers, a show about the bright minds behind the world's largest digital platforms and the stories of how they built them. I am your host, Kuros, and together we'll uncover the secrets behind creating, scaling, and managing some of the most successful platforms out there. Welcome to the Platform Pioneers podcast. Today, I'm really excited because we sit down with Walter Masalin, who is a technology investor, successful entrepreneur, and has been in the platform industry in one way and another for many years. He's founder and CEO of Prawnville, an online B2B marketplace, connecting suppliers to business buyers searching for products for industrial use. Walter, without further ado, maybe you introduce yourself, a bit of your professional career, and most interestingly, obviously, what you are doing and solving at Cronvall. Yeah, well, great to be here. Thank you for the, for the opportunity. And, you know, I've always been interested in science and technology, and, and that led me to go study physics. And in fact, one of my first jobs was at the low temperature physics lab in the University of Helsinki. However, I quickly came to the conclusion that I did not have the high enough capacity for that profession. And I was drawn closer to where technologies get applied to real use cases. And this meant to me to be closer to businesses. So I ended up switching focus more to economics and business and then had the opportunity to live in the U.S. and study at Harvard. And this was at the time of the birth of the social web. So I discovered the Facebook, which you could only register to with an Ivy League email address. You know, I was blown away and ended up joining a team that was looking to replicate something similar in Europe. And ever since I've been uh, hooked in tech companies one way or another, uh, the social media startup did, did not make it, but I got to join Nokia uh, after that at the height of its fortunes, really. You know, wonderful early opportunity to see a global tech business at scale and also fascinating time witnessing the emergence of the smartphone platform. And I saw at Nokia that new technology always provides someone an opportunity to disrupt. And winning is all about platforms and ecosystems in the tech space. Yeah, and so because of some lucky encounters during my time at Nokia, I met a group that was looking to build something on the investor side. And I ended up moving to venture investments for more than a decade. I joined NGP Capital as the second person in Europe to help build a global investment fund focused on growth capital. The firm has today about 1.6 billion of assets under management. So I, I traveled the world and led a few investment strategies over three fund cycles, participated in over 100 investments globally, 
And, and over that time, I had the privilege uh, to work together with so many amazing founders and, and follow some remarkable companies like, you know, for example, Mag Interactive, eight person team doing mobile games all the way to chairing the company to an IPO. And then, you know, after looking at so many digital marketplace businesses as an investor, you know, seeing those transformation sector over sector and, and seeing kind of these models bringing all these efficiencies to a market, I, I felt the urge to go back to the operational side and, and build product again. And then on the other hand, already a bit earlier, I had been exposed to this B2B wholesale sector indirectly through a family business. And I, I saw a huge opportunity in what I believe to be an under-digitized and underserved sector in, in B2B trade of, of these kind of semi-finished goods of, of what we call industrial products, such as standard metal sheets, as an example. So putting these, all these things together led to the founding of, of Kruenval, a B2B marketplace platform for, for making it easy to buy and sell industrial products. Well, I mean, first of all, that's an impressive and long career, and that's maybe touch upon, upon also your time as an investor later. But maybe exactly uh, looking at this most recently, what Kruenval is doing, you said it was an under-digitized opportunity. How do you uh, go about it? What was like the first problem that you wanted to fix and and what were these steps in there? Maybe just to take a step back, what we've discussed a lot on this podcast yeah. is how do you make a platform marketplace run, right? Like specifically in under-digitized industries, is it the first challenge to actually digitize the stock and the supply and demand? Is it, do you go demand first and then supply? How do you thought about this and how do you actually do it then? Yeah, that's a great question. There's always this question with marketplaces that which side do you focus on? How, how do you get the flywheel going? And which comes first, supply or demand? And I think this, this is a difficult question. And, and I think you, you need to have both. And, and you need to, I think, start small, be deliberate and always focus on the customer. So, you know, I, I think kind of getting for us, for example, getting the supplier and the couple of first suppliers on board in a very manual, in a kind of very almost like a bit kind of facilitated, managed way in order just to get, in a way, the first step going. And I think you have to be prepared to think, in a way, before you can get to the vision of have everything fully digitalized and automated and, and fully scalable, I, I think you have to kind of start from the small steps and and really prove some of the first kind of value add to your to your platform partners so for example one of the you know major challenges for us initially has been to expand the supplier base and and the product assortment so how to kind of convince the initial suppliers to get on board and and balancing that on kind of you know how do you select the right path how the product assortment grows in a way that supports the customer need and and kind of invites more activity on the platform. So on the one hand, you know, it might be that you have to really kind of focus a lot on just on the suppliers that are in a position to be ready to take the first steps and, and try a new channel and get on board. And maybe to add on that, I think, you know, initially for us, we relied on one of the founding members' uh, kind of personal relationships, in fact, that you know there was a bit of a trust among some of the suppliers, the first ones who were willing to try it out and, and get going. And and then I think after that, you know, one of the things we've learned 
is that you know you have to be very focused ensuring that there is an initial proof point that you know we talk something like a first sale in 30 days for the supply side as a, as a metric to as a proxy to to really help kind of show initial results in what matters and even if it's small i think it opens up the imagination for the collaboration so you know, very important, I think, is this kind of concept. And we've had situation where after the first sale, as it comes kind of very quickly and maybe kind of exceeds the expectation, the supplier comes back and is willing to put more products or maybe kind of product, you know, offer the product at a different price level. And of course, that's very, very good to help the, the, the business get going. So I think it's a really challenging topic for sure. I mean, and, and that's super interesting. It's always... I think it's super good learning for a lot of marketplace or platform founders to say like, hey, how do I actually get started? When you look at this business of industrial goods, buying and selling, how is it structured? Maybe that gets us to the question about how do you grow or plan to grow? Is it a very international business from the supply side, so from the wholesalers or from the um, original manufactured? Is it a very international business from the, from the buyer side? Um, do you go country by country what's kind of like the structure of that business and how do you tend to grow yeah yeah i, I think there is a there is a strong local element to what we offer and, and the problem we solve so you know i can talk a bit about how we think about expansion but perhaps maybe just kind of briefly describe in a way how we approach the problem and, and really what what is the problem we're solving so we really think that construction and manufacturing are the largest industries in the world and they're also one of the of most fragmented ones in the world and one of the key issues that happens in these companies in, in at times is that due to poor planning or unexpected need or a breakdown or, or similar, you know, there is a need for a specific product that meets detailed technical requirements. And, you know, there is not a bigger productivity killer than waiting for a missing product, preventing you from moving to the next step in your workflow. And this is a huge issue and it really triggers a discovery process, like where can you find the right product? What is the price? And most importantly, what's the availability and how do you get it to the site? And here's where Kruenwald comes in. So we provide this platform where manufacturers and local wholesalers in particular, which is an important partner for, for the platform, that have inventory of these standard products can kind of get a new channel going and, 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 and get kind of an online way of getting those products to the right place. And so Kruenwald enables customers on the demand side in a way, quick and easy way to transact and get the products they need delivered to their site by providing these multiple suppliers on the platform, ensuring not only wide selection in one place, but also reliability and availability by providing multiple sources on one platform. So that brings me to your question, really, that kind of how do we think about expansion? There is kind of this local country by country element. And, and because in most cases, you have to, in a way, connect some of the local inventories in order to give the service quality in a way, the fast enough delivery to the customer need. And, you know, there is a kind of a key to that country by country, that kind of locality of finding those local partners. But then having said that, there is a value chain in this industry and, and there are the kind of original manufacturers. And as you kind of move and expand your platform, and, and in particular, in our case, the customer at, at times also is looking for much bigger quantities. And, and this 
of course, offers a really interesting opportunity to connect the need directly to the manufacturing source. And this way also kind of bring more efficiency into the kind of bigger picture. So that has in a way led to a situation that when we initially started, demand side was very local, one country. But we started to expand the supply base. It started to also expand internationally and, you know, also providing a beachhead for us to consider international expansion with that kind of expansion of the supply side. I mean, and that's quite interesting and a great way to grow, obviously. It's like, hey, I, I have a, a common set of suppliers but, and, and demand and they kind of like almost fizzle into other countries and that is how we're going to go into the countries. Now, I think you are in uh, Finland, Estonia and uh, you opened recently up in Germany uh, uh, on the process. Do you see a playbook already? And another question that's always interesting with this expansion, how are, specifically coming from Germany, how are supply and demand different country by country? Is it that supply is quite different? Is it that demand is quite different? Or maybe price points are different? Or maybe there's nothing different. Maybe it's it's quite homogeneous. How, how, do, you, how do you think about these country by country differences? Yeah, I, I think, you know, really important question. And, you know, we're from Finland, which is a small market. And we actually took this borrowed approach from the mobile app business, this soft launch mentality and approach where we kind of expanded first, actually to an even smaller market initially, Estonia, wanting to really first just find the proof point that, in a way, the model is workable elsewhere. And also understand what localization means. Can we acquire users the same way? And can we operationally fulfill in a new region and really kind of get some of the checkbox done, which we actually did in order to really prepare the actual expansion, which for us, for example, in this case is Germany, which is by far the most interesting and largest market in Europe. And we, as I mentioned earlier, we already actually have through this supply expansion process Some suppliers in Germany, we, we knew the potential. So, you know, with those kind of learnings from the first soft launch test market, if you will, wanted to really put elements into our playbook, which you were also asking about. We're still working, we're still developing it, but I think we have, in a way, a systematic approach of getting there. And for us now, with the German example, first steps were really to replicate some of the tests we did also previously in Estonia, and really then focus on the team. And we're very proud that we've partnered with a strong leader, an entrepreneur in, in Germany, as you know, brought, brought to partner in the team with us. And really, we're going to take it to the next level with this expansion and are very excited about it. Yeah. And I mean, as you said, these are two huge markets, right? And digitization, that is something that I've seen, I mean, with our customers, uh, uh, as we are focused mostly on, on B2B platform, that I've seen with a lot of uh, people in the podcast, there's a lot of delta to be achieved by digitizing, kind of like, like by bringing this to an almost B2C-like experience, these kind of things. If you maybe take a step back and also kind of like reflect your time as an investor, what you're doing now, was it always also a big hypothesis? that you had as an investor, how has kind of like that experience that you have of, I mean, and there's impressive of over 10 years of, of investing has kind of like shaped you and, and influenced the way you're now as an entrepreneur. How, how do these two hearts work together, so to speak? Yeah, I, I think it has a kind of profound influence, you know, really trying to understand what it takes and what are the, the biggest criteria for 
really getting to great outcomes. And I think, you know, a couple of major things that I really took as learnings and key impact factors from my time as an investor is that there's two really, really important factors, really, really important factors you should always think about hard as an investor. And I think it equally applies to a founder so that, you know, it's, it's all about the team. Who's the team? Who's the founder? Who is the kind of group that's really going after the opportunity and how do they view the world and what drives them and how do they work together? So, you know, the team was by far, in a way, the number number one determinant of great outcomes. I think the other point was all about market. Even in a way, if there were certain shortcomings here or there, a great large market opportunity, particularly if it's a new emerging one, you know, really kind of lifts all the boats. So there needs to be sufficiently large opportunity you're going after. And particularly, of course, if you think about venture scalable models or venture backed situations, in a way, the market size is extremely important. And I, I think, you know, there's two ways to think about it. I think it's fine if you initially target a segment or if, if initially you're looking at a smaller, let's say, sliver of the market. But overall, I think you have to be looking at you know, big market opportunities if you're looking for like a venture type of outcome. So I think those are a couple of things that would highlight, but, you know, there's so many, so many things we could also talk about beyond that. Yeah, indeed. I mean, and that's a great thing of kind of like having that mindset. I mean, for us uh, now also kind of like going, going through two VC rounds, you get that investor mindset more and more and more. As an entrepreneur, sometimes you see a lot of the opportunity and, hey, this is, this is great, et cetera. But Obviously, it takes an investor would always take a bit more of a of a bird's eye bird's eye view. It's like, hey, how is it looking five years from now, etc., which is quite interesting. If you reflect a bit, also about growing your business at Cromwell, what is maybe the one thing that you feel you need to get right in the next one or two years? Like, what is the the one thing that actually could be an enabler, uh, an inhibitor, but if you if you get it right, it's it's an enabler. And I've heard many things. Some said, "Hey, I really need to get right." When it was a B two C market, a B two C style marketplace, I really need to get right. How do I um, kind of like get acquisition costs under control if I go into a new country? I really need to get right. How do I digitize my stock even more or better and without so, so much manual effort? Like, what do you feel is what you need to get right in the next one or two years? Yeah, we, we really need to get right this supply side engagement. Or what we think what we think really is kind of the tools and the technologies and really the user experience on the supply side that, that we think is crucial really to, to take this to the next level. So what does that mean? It means really that we can provide better tools to engage the suppliers, to engage with the platform, to provide, you know, up-to-date information, availability, and also kind of participate more through that better workflow that we could be able to offer on the platform side in a way really to, to supercharge the, the experience. And I think that would be the most important thing to get right in order to really start growing and expanding much, much larger and, and get into those you know, flywheel, those network effects, if you will. So that's really, really kind of, in a way, what we're really focused on. And we've been, you know, during the past year, basically been just heads down working on our new platform, which actually, you know, we're really excited that the German launch is, is on with this 
version two platform. And, and we want to be kind of iterating very rapidly and very quickly to, to, in a way, find that right offering and get that right. And I'll just mention one other kind of reflection where I was very amazed and kind of impressed so much about an offer and an approach like this. And so in my previous investment fund, we invested in a company called Moveit, which is a public transit app. And I remember kind of the founders talking about the early days of the business where, you know, on the app side, they were doing a lot of manual kind of in-company work, figuring out like which line goes where, what's the timetable, and, and doing a lot of the updating of the information on the platform you know, with the team inside the organization. And at some point they just realized like, I mean, this is is not going to work. It's not going to scale. And all the tools and all the kind of workflows they had developed in a way for the team inside the organization, they decided to kind of take the leap and outsource that. In that case, for the community to be able to contribute and keep information in that case up to date. And I think that was kind of a very, I think a defining moment for that company. And I think a kind of also an impact to how we think at Kruenwall about, in a way, what we need to get right and what's the next enabler to really kind of get the flywheel going. Nice. And that makes tons of sense. And it's great. You kind of like have already a very, very clear, clear picture of, hey, that's what I need to get right. Maybe to kind of like, as we're almost at the end, what is going to be from a, because you're so passionate about technology, what is going to be from a technology perspective? something that's gonna in a positive way keep you up at night and in, in, in the next month or year to come as an example i've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs and said like hey really technology that helps me with real-time pricing for that was in the in the food yeah. wholesale uh, yeah. distribution businesses yeah. is crucial or really something uh, that helps me to to onboard and risk assess my customers or my merchants better something what do you feel is going to be could be ai could be uh, you name it like technology that's that's gonna it's going to be crucial for you guys well I, I think you kind of also touched upon it earlier a bit on kind of that consumerization of the experience that also on the b2b side you know i would expect a lot of those kind of great experiences being bought over so that you know the checkout and you know way transactional costs are like done in a way that's just really fluent and nice. And I, I think that's one area. And I think you could argue that a lot of those technologies are not necessarily new. They haven't been just fully applied on uh, throughout all the sectors. So that's, I think, one. I think the other one, which we take very seriously, is AI. And of course, everyone is talking about AI. It's a very, very exciting term. It's been used in very kind of expansive ways. But for us, really thinking hard that how can we adopt AI within our team, within our workflows, and really leverage the, the people we have and, and that way really ultimately kind of move faster and, and ultimately create more customer value. So we're very kind of deliberate about engaging and trying to implement these new tools in our workflow and, and consider that to be very important. Great. I mean, that was a great kind of like also a bit of a more bird's eye view outlook of, of what's going to come. And I think also super consistent with what kind of like big trends we've discussed with. So first of all, Walter, thank you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure. I always love these discussions with someone who has a bit of an investor, but also is now an entrepreneur. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for the insights and the time, Walter. Well, thank you. Great being with you today.